Mark Iskowitz, Executive Editor at MMM, and welcome to the MMM Podcast and to the second of our new series called Marketers at Home, where we look at how healthcare marketers are adjusting to COVID-19. I hope you're all well and staying safe during this difficult time. The first episode in this new podcast series, which aired April 7th, looked at keeping agency culture intact when working remotely. You can find that episode archived on our website. Today, we're moving over to the client side, and my guest is Paul Marasco, Senior Director, Head of Digital Customer Interaction for North America at the pharma company Ipsen. And we're going to talk about pharma brand management, both HCP and patient, and from messaging to media in the age of coronavirus. As businesses from restaurants to sports leagues look to return to normal operations once the immediate threat from COVID-19 has passed, they have their local municipalities, federal government, and health authorities to look to for guidance on timing and the lifting of social distancing rules, etc. Biopharma marketers, on the other hand, must ensure they're in line with all of the above, but they're somewhat on their own when it comes to the blocking and tackling of brand management. Paul will give us his take on budgeting and branding as marketers recalibrate campaigns in the wake of coronavirus. First, I want to thank our sponsor, GuideMark Health. GuideMark Health is known for a commitment to clients' brands and the patients and communities they serve. Entrenched in cancer and rare disease, GuideMark Health provides meaningful insights that provide moments of truth and action. Again, we thank them for their sponsorship. So I want to welcome you, Paul, to this uh, sort of quarantine version of the MMM podcast. Hello, Mark. It's great to be uh, part of this. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, it's great to speak with you again. Uh, I'm taping from my attic in, here in North Jersey. It's not quite as state-of-the-art as MMM's NYC podcasting studio, but uh, hey, it'll do. How about you? Where are you situated? I'm actually in uh, the Boston suburbs. I'm in a town of Hopkinton, the start of the Boston Marathon that never happened earlier this week on Patriots Day because of COVID. Uh-huh. And I'm talking to you from our uh, sunroom on this uh, sunny afternoon. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, the marathons, you know, uh, which are one uh, casualty of this uh, pandemic will, will resume uh, soon. But um, I've seen you speak at big events like Digital Pharma East, you know, where your sessions are always among the most popular on the agenda. And it's really a privilege to be speaking one on one with you. So thank you again uh, for joining us. No, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Sure, sure. We'll hear from Paul in a moment. First, a few housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. Final MMM Awards entry deadline is April 29th. And in case any of you are wondering about the judging, uh, we will be doing that virtually, uh, all virtually this year. Uh, second item, our spring conference, MMM Transform, had to be postponed, uh, but it's been rescheduled for late summer. Meantime, I'm conducting a pre-conference webcast with NYU Langone's Dr. Tanya Elliott to talk about how telemedicine has forever changed the healthcare system on May 21st. This is designed to give a sneak peek at some of the cutting-edge content we'll discuss at the conference this summer. Again, that's on May 21st. And finally, our 40 Under 40 issue goes live May 4th. This is MMM's inaugural 40 Under 40 list, and we're very excited about that. In addition to the list is a feature on agencies doing good and an article on other helpful podcasts to listen to, also sponsored by Guidemark Health. Guidemark's intention is to connect consumers with approachable, high-quality healthcare information, and in that article, you can read their recommendations for other podcasts to connect with now. Thank you again, Guidemark Health.
Okay, back to our regularly scheduled program with special guest Paul Marasco. Uh, like most Ipsen employees around the world, excluding mainly those at the manufacturing distribution sites, Paul is working from home today, as he said, and the commercial organization continues to support healthcare providers virtually. So this whole situation kind of gives new meaning to the term armchair quarterback, but let's start off on the patient side. Paul, what's been the impact on patient marketing over the last couple of months? Well, I think patient marketing has always been uh, a key tenant to any any marketing plan, any engagement plan. But right now, um, I think it's uh, more critical than ever to make sure you have your messages out there. People are home. People are online more than ever before. And, you know, I'm not saying do... Um, TV ads, because a lot of people don't have those budgets, and I've never been a proponent of TV ads for the most part. But, you know, getting your videos out there so that they're viewable via YouTube or some connected TV um, plan, I think is a, is a great play. I also think folks need to look at the overall media um, plan and make sure that, you know, you're getting your messages out on the right endemic and uh, non-endemic properties, as well as don't um, forget about looking at um, SEO, making sure that natural organic search is working for you to complement your page search and make sure your page search has been optimized to make sure you're not driving to what you thought was the right thing, you know, two, three months ago. But what you're really going to do now based on the new norm that's in place. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that uh, a lot of companies, say, have tabled or paused ongoing messaging and brand goals and maybe interrupted that DTC or social media campaign during the pandemic? Well, I, I, yeah, I think that's a great question, Mark. And I think it varies. I I can tell you that, um, you know, Ipsen and a lot of the companies where colleagues I know work um, are really making sure they're not being overly promotional during this time. I think the last thing anyone wants to see, be it our HCPs or our consumers, is us to be outright there in a full in your face promotional campaign. That being said, the ability and the need to get your educational messages out there, I, I think is more than prudent. Um, and we, for example, did not cut back on our DTC. We're launching our first full DTC campaign for one of our products that was planned to launch in um Q2, and we are launching it um, next month as planned. So we haven't curtailed it. Um, We just are moving forward with our plan. Great, great. So uh, it's probably split in terms of uh, those that have kept the commercials rolling through the crisis and those that haven't. Uh, But you make a really interesting point about the tone. Um, You know, um, I would think that early on, Perhaps uh, a lot of companies probably took more of a, a, a public health tone if, if they were out there. Yes, our products, along with all the usual patient support, will still be available. Um, 
when is it appropriate, do you think, for them to uh, kind of switch tones uh, to, or, or should they ever go back to that, as you put it, you know, that all out promotional campaign tone, or should, should they stay in this kind of more of an educational mode for the time being? I think we should stay in the educational um, mode. And I personally have always felt that we should always be educational within our promotion from the beginning. You know, the reason I decided to stay in healthcare my whole career is because at the end of the day, um, I believe what we do um, helps a patient improve the quality of life, be it, you know, from a chronic state or rare disease or oncology, or even when I was in medical devices, really helping improve the quality of life. That being said, you know, your campaigns don't have to be outright full promotion. They should be educational, fair and balanced, which they have to be, but really, giving people the opportunity to see why this might help them. And that's why on top of, you know, traditional media, that's why I think social media becomes so important um, so that we can make sure that the right messaging is getting out so people have the right information and enough information to make decisions moving forward. Sure. And, um, you know, how keen do you think are patients uh, for for to, to get that information from brands amid the coronavirus crisis? Uh, and, and what kind of information might they need from from pharma? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to realize that pharma is still one of the least respected or trusted industries. I mean, Although we seem to improve, and to be honest, if you look at the work of the industry right now with COVID-19, and particularly some of the companies that are really stepping up to accelerate trials and look for ways to help, I hope this is all going to help the industry, because I know I'm very proud of being part of it with everything we're trying to do with COVID-19 right now. That being said, I've always been a firm believer in, you know, earned media is the most powerful of the three, bought, owned, and earned. Um, and I think consumers, um, be it the patient or the caregiver, is going to be more likely to look at what their peers are sharing and saying um, more than they want to hear directly from a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So that would uh, lead us to believe that um, uh, sort of uh, patient communities, th those kinds of voices you think uh, would, would be more valued amongst the patient community than a manufacturer? Yes. Um, I, I just think um, it's not all one or, um, and all not the other. I think it's both by all means. But if you think about it, um, recent studies have shown that, um, you know, we all know Dr. Google 
And, you know, it's in the 90 plus percent of people Googling condition, conditions and symptoms before they go see a doctor. And they historically Google what the doctor tells them after that visit. Well, what's becoming more and more part of that equation is uh, people are going to their community. Um, could be a private community, could be a public community, um, could be part of the advocacy community that they're part of. Um, and they're asking questions and they're seeing what people are saying. So that same study showed that um, I think it's upwards now of 70% of people are going to these communities prior to a doctor's um, appointment and upwards of 50% are going back to that community to validate what the doctor says before they determine a path forward. So I think the aspect of community um, and um, social sharing from that standpoint is just as valuable as what used to be make sure you have the right web properties to drive people to. It's not just owned, mm-hmm. it's shared as, as, uh, um, as much as, um, as anything today. And I think a part of that is also due to, um, you know, patient influence is now a, a, a major component of that landscape. And I think they become more um, important and um, critical in this pathway um, every year, I mean, five years ago, people didn't even know what a patient advocate was or a patient influencer. And now it's a common note term. And I think that is driving some of these uh, trends that I just shared with you. Sure, sure. So, so their stock rises here. And uh, I'm sure companies are, are, are making it easier uh, for patients to get things like copay cards and uh, other you know kinds of uh, access related um uh, information uh, and uh, and resources during this time. Um, speak, speaking of which, you know, telemedicine has really uh, changed the game in terms of how patients are getting healthcare, uh, and the front door to the healthcare system has changed drastically, even over the last couple of months. Um, how is that kind of a disruption impacting um, your uh, patient marketing plans? I. I don't know if it's impacting so much patient marketing plans. I think um, we just have to be cognizant that, you know, um, patients are probably less thrilled about the idea of going to see a a doctor for a visit now. And telemed is going to not only be critical during this time of COVID, but I think it's also not gonna go away after. It's, it's been on the rise, I think it continues to be on the rise. I think, um, you know, right now, some facilities, some doctor's offices um, aren't even seeing patients for normal uh, checkups and follow-ups. It's all done through telehealth. I know I had a follow-up visit two weeks ago and it was done through telehealth and historically, my PCP wasn't doing telehealth. So that's an end of one, but I think it's, it's a sign of what's going to 
happen. That being said, um, I think we need to, you know, make sure we have the educational materials and the things like copay cards, as you referenced, um, easily accessible and available to um, the patients so that they can get them. And I've always been a firm believer that you shouldn't have to, your goal shouldn't be driving someone to your property to get information. You know, it's a world of 24-7 on demand, and we should be able to deliver, you know, those resources um, in the space that they're playing. So, you know, if they're on Facebook, let's deliver that, you know, link on Facebook that they can go to either your property or someone else to to get what they need. Or if it's viewing a video, for example, that's going to help them have a doctor discussion, don't make them go to your site to view that video. Just, you know, view it on YouTube where they're probably at currently. So I think all that's going to play into it. I also think on that um, um, question around telemed, I think telemed's going to change the whole point of care marketing aspect. You know, if people are going into offices less, Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, are you really going to have those point of care, traditional point of care initiatives that you had when people were waiting for a doctor? I, I think the jury's still out on this, but we're probably going to look down the road at, you know, when you're in that virtual waiting room, what messages can you share? Um, just like you would share in a, you know, brick and mortar waiting room um so i think that's still to come but i think that's going to evolve over time as well right right and since you brought up the point of care space uh you know some say the pharmacy point of care space is going to become more more valuable um in the weeks and months ahead um as you know the pharmacy becomes one of the few uh, essential outings, uh, basically, along with the grocery store uh, that people uh, take during the week, you know, to get their essential medic- medicines. Although I just saw a study from IQVIA and Barclays that, that showed that uh, mail order prescriptions were way up uh, for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. I, I think mail order prescriptions are way up for the obvious reasons. I also think um, some traditional things like you know, injections that normally you would go into a, a doctor's office to receive. Um, I think more and more um, opportunities are going to present themselves where people are offering home services to um, allow a healthcare professional to come into a patient's home Um and provide that injection to provide them the ability not to travel. And even though you're still having an outside person in your, in your home with the right precautions, that should still present less risk than going into a doctor's office or, you know, a hospital if that office is in a hospital setting. So I think home services is really going to be looked at. I think those, um, what we used to call value-added services from a patient support and 
and um, the copay cards, all those things that usually sit in a support portal um, are going to become more valuable and actually are going to probably be um, promoted and not promoted in a negative way, promoted from an awareness standpoint so people are aware and more more of our uh, patients um, can you know take advantage of those services that I think a lot of companies have provided but you didn't really know about. Right, that may have been kind of relegated to the shadows a little bit. Uh, let's segue over to the HCP side as we've been kind of getting closer to that. Um, but starting with the EHR, how are you viewing um, EHR um, as a uh, quote-unquote media channel uh, or opportunity to provide some kind of value to doctors in this current environment? Yeah, well, great question. And and first, I would say I I never viewed the VHR, uh, the EHR, sorry, VHR. <laughs> um, I never viewed it as like VHS almost. It's a flashback to my age. Probably. Data VHS, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but I never viewed the EHR as a um, um, a place for media or outright promotion. I do believe um, the HR is a valuable channel that in many ways is underutilized. Um, but I think you need to use the EHR as an opportunity to help that physician help the patient. You know, if you have a copay card, make sure it's easily found during that EHR um, experience. Because let's be honest, per macro and um, the quality scores that all doctors now have against them, EHRs aren't going away. And anything we can do to improve the quality scores and ultimately help their patients um, is, a, is a benefit. So we need to make sure we're using EHRs, getting our materials in there appropriately, um, making sure we're um, possible, we're helping our uh, physicians find our product. It used to be you know, you need to be on formulary. Well, that's very, very 19, you know, 90s. Um, formulary is important. You still need to be on formulary. But if you don't have your products in an EHR or you can't make it easy for them to select your products off of a favorite list or the order sets aren't updated to have your products in it, um, there's all these tools that EHR offers that um, I think um, we are going to need to continue to explore, not to promote our product, but to actually help our physicians um, prescribe our product. Sure, sure. It's just a lot of that uh, sounds like table stakes. And, uh, you know, we've been saying for years, you've been saying for years that uh, pharma really needs to decode the EHR in order to, to help doctors, to help patients. So it's a good time to, re to return to those fundamentals. Uh, further uh, into the HCP. Yeah. yeah. One other thing, Mark, if I could, one other thing that um, I think in EHR, the one, the one value EHRs have, and I'm not saying we can 
get access, nor should we get access to all that data that isn't in AHR, but they are data, data rich. And in a time like this, um, we should make sure that we're having the appropriate conversations with our physicians to have them run the right reports so that they can easily see what patients of theirs have missed, say, an injection in the last 60 days. You know, with the way life is crazy in these uncertain times, people are probably not realizing that, hey, it might have been two months since I've been in for an, an injection. And if they're feeling well, it may not come top of mind. Um, you know, the EHR has the ability to have these reports run to have the doctor's office reach out and say, hey, um, by the way, you know, you're coming up on your third myth or whatever mm -hmm. criteria they feel is too long. Um, and then complement that with maybe the home service offering that we talked about earlier. I mean, I think these pieces start coming together. Nothing's done in a vacuum, but done correctly, you can start making a plan of ultimately how you can help the patient get the services they need in the best way with the current circumstances. Sure, that, that's a great point, and that kind of a feature takes on added relevance in, in the current environment. Um, let's talk about the um, traditional field force model for a moment. Um, obviously, no surprise that uh, in-person meetings between sales reps and doctors have largely been scuttled due to the pandemic, uh, which means that um, the term uh, non-personal promotion, which I've, I, I like to use, uh, in some way, shape, or form has become the dominant channel, but talk about for a moment how uh, the traditional field force model has been altered uh, and perhaps, you know, how it is going to be altered moving forward. Uh, happy to, Mark. Um, but first, I'll, uh, I guess, put a little plug into um, a, a new definition of MPP. I've used this on and off for a few years, but I think in today's times more than any, NPP should no longer be considered non-personal promotion. It should be um, used as the new personal promotion. And the reason I say that is to your question, you're not going to have the face-to-face -face interaction that you used to have. No matter what that new norm comes to be, there's going to be uh, uh, added need um, based on, you know, the, probably the physician's desire, as well as just the changing demand that we will have to at, find the right medium of face-to-face -face and digital promotion. So what traditionally was non-personal, the surround sound, as people called it, um, the video detailing, um, the exchange of information through email, you know, with links to the appropriate um, information. I think that's going to be now as important as that face-to-face -face call. And for the foreseeable future, once we get to the point where we are going to be promoting instead of just being there um, when they need us, 
I think that's going to be the, the avenue to do so. So there are, there are many tools and, and platforms out there, but I think the Viva platform that, you know, everyone in pharma seems to use, um, you know, Viva CRM, you know, the Viva Engage tool, um, you know, Viva Approved Email, all those tools are going to become, you know, um, a stable in the, the tools that the sales force will be using on a regular basis as we move out of this time and into the new norm. Right, right. Uh, well said. And I think that kind of a semantic change uh, of, of NPP to personal promotion um, is the kind that can cause a cultural change as well. And, you know, we collected a little der- little data on the MMM site last month um, showing that uh, uh, most of the respondents to a, a survey we ran, which had about 175 respondents of our audience, had slashed their marketing budgets. Um, uh, and most likely, you know, that was due to a lot of these pricey um, face-to-face uh, channels like uh in-person details and, and meetings and dinner meetings, um, moving over to virtual, um, which, you know, so, so the pandemic has, has caused a cultural shift, um, in and of itself, whether we like it or not. So let's allow the, the, the terminology to, to, to move along with it. You know, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to, as an industry and as a, each individual organization is going to have to um, become comfortable with, you know, changing their parameters of what's acceptable. Um, you know, there's a lot of organizations that still um, would not allow today or prior to COVID um, a meal being delivered for you know, um, an educational uh, lunch and learn, um, unless that uh, sales rep is in present in that room. You know, in my past life, the telesales group that I led, we used to have remote lunch and learns where, you know, you still had the appropriate sign-offs, you still had the check and balance, but you were able to do that lunch and learn completely remote with someone, you know, over an internet connection going on a big screen or, you know, series of computers in a lunchroom at a doctor's office, having lunch delivered by a caterer or a Grubhub or whatever the case might be, having people, you know, um, through process and, you know, guidelines make sure they're there and they're engaging in the right way but doing it without the the old requirement of making sure um the sales rep was you know physically in the room at the time i think that's going to become you know a new way moving forward but that's not technology is not going to stop that it's going to be organization ability to be comfortable with um, the new norm and embracing it um, because I believe that's something that's also going to have to be um, opened up and widely accepted moving forward. 
Sure, right. So there could be um, some changes in in the way those kinds of uh, lunch and learns uh, are conducted vis-a-vis, um, you know, those requirements, those checks and balances, that that sort of thing, um, as we tool. Um, makes makes sense. Uh, let's just touch for a moment on uh, before we kind of sum up here. Uh, value-based communications, um, you know, encompassing uh, communications with insurers, managed care, if you will, um, health systems, um, as well as kind of communications that are in the service of shifting us from the fee-for-service world to the, to the value-based world. How have those been altered uh, during this crisis? I think for the most part, altered in the same way. We're not getting to see people face-to-face. So you're going to, we have to rely on, you know, phone calls and you're going to have to rely on, you know, some sort of video conferencing. It may not be a video detail as the true sense of the word would be, but still sharing of documents via, you know, a video conference. Um, And you just need to make sure that, you know, you have a platform that's set up and compliant to, um, you know, be secure. Um, I do believe, um, you know, on that um, value and access side, you know, a lot of the tools that we would put in place for um, the sales force would be adequate and appropriate to be used, um, although it might be, it would be different content. Um, would be um, appropriate for the value and access or managed markets team. Um, likewise, I think those same tools, even though your question was on value access, would be appropriate with the right, you know, um, firewalls and partitions to be used on the medical information side for the MSL to deliver um, conversations and materials that way. So I, I think, once again, the technology and the platforms are there. You just have to set it up to make sure you're using it not as a shiny object. You're using it to solve for a problem and be a solution to you know that group and how they need to communicate with the customers. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, great. Uh, thanks for giving us kind of a 360-degree view of things here. Uh, just to sum up, you know, moving forward, Paul, to what extent do you see things permanently altered on both the patient and HCP sides? In other words, what remnants of crisis-era marketing will remain, in your view, after the dust settles? Well, I, I think what's going to change is... Um, And it's not so much for me because I've been blessed. Uh, One of the reasons I joined Ipsen was because they really wanted to make sure we were, you know, not so much doing digital marketing, but marketing in the digital world. So they've always been supportive of this. And that's why, you know, my team um, was built. That being said, I do believe this crisis is going to have all organizations really look at, you know, are they, they say they want to be digitally focused, but are they really going to commit to it? You know, a lot of times 
you know, a lot of my colleagues fight the battle because people just want to do things the way they used to. Well, I think the way they used to has already been radically changed. And I personally don't believe we're going back to, you know, January and December of last year. Um, we will, you know, go from the extreme we're in right now to an, a, a new point. We don't know what that is. But, you know, I think marketing in the digital world um, got a little kick in the butt and it's going to be a continued acceleration from here on out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. And we should, uh, I think that's a really nice way to, to put it, um, just an acceleration of that transformation. And we should say, I'm not sure we, we were uh, talking offline a little bit about it, but, you know, reps have a, um, you know, companies are, will take the approach that they'll take in terms of their field forces. But, um, you know, you were sharing um, offline that uh, your company has taken this opportunity to double down uh, on, on the training of its field force. Uh, and making sure that they're adequately uh, resourced uh, and trained for when when operations, um, you know, God willing, get running again, sort of the healthcare system returns to to a quote unquote normal state in terms of the pandemic, and that they're there for for doctors when when they need them. I thought that was a really nice you know way of putting it. Yeah, no, um, I I could not be prouder and um, more excited than ever for working for a company like Gibson during this crisis. Um, they have shown that first and foremost, their responsibility and efforts have been around taking care of their associates. And the, when I say associates, everyone from, you know, the field to manufacturing to corporate, and they are doing everything and then some to make sure that you know, we have the tools and the support personally and professionally um, with a lenient on uh, making sure personally you're okay um, in place. And at the same time, then saying our second responsibility is for the patients we serve. So what are the foundational things we need to put in place? What are those capabilities we need so that when it's time to get back to the new norm we're ready so yeah absolutely you'll take take this opportunity to recalibrate and uh and prepare uh for for that return may it come speedily well uh i want to thank you again for your time paul this has been fantastic and a lot of fun oh my pleasure mark thank you for um inviting me to um have a chat with you sure and uh thanks again to our sponsor guide mark health and i want to thank you everyone out there for listening please stay well stay safe stay connected with mmm and for, for larry dobrow this has been mark iskowitz we'll talk to you again soon on the mmm podcast take care everybody